I have to tell you that I, I do have a, a habit of losing things. Uh, some years ago, I lost the car keys only to find them later in the refrigerator. And then uh, perhaps worse than that, one day I was looking for my new sunglasses and asked my wife if she had seen them. And she said she had because they were right on the top of my head. And then there was a time I kept losing my cell phone, you know, so I would have to ask somebody to call it so I could, I could hear it ring. Of course, my phone was always on silent, so that didn't work so well. So I got that app, you know, that helps you find your phone, except I accidentally lost it and deleted the app. I, I don't have a good track record um, of hanging on to a lot of things. I, I've lost other things in, in my day. I, uh, besides cell phones and car keys, I've lost things even more significant than that. Uh, several years ago, a member of our church gave me a, a rather large check uh, to put in the offering plate because they had missed it when it had come around. And uh, several thousand dollars. And so I said I would. And I went upstairs, took off my robe, took the check out of my pocket and put it on my desk. Well, if you've ever seen my desk, that wasn't a good move. We did find it two months later, though, before the bank canceled it. And then there was the time that I lost something really important. I lost a child. Five-year-old, I was at Best Buy, and, and he was looking at the video games, naturally. And I was looking at the large screen TVs, naturally. But we were in different parts of the store. So when I went back, he wasn't there. I had to go to the front of the store and embarrassingly ask, ask for a lockdown so I could come back up with my son. So I've had some bad experiences with loss, and and one real terrifying loss happened a week ago last Friday. It was right before the Sweet 16 game when Duke was playing Utah, and I lost the remote. It wasn't in the basket, you know, where it should be, and it wasn't under the cushions of the couch where it should be. Uh, So eventually I found it in the kitchen before game time. But perhaps the most devastating loss that I've ever had was... On more than one occasion, I've lost Jesus. On more than one occasion, when grief strikes or tragedy strikes or just overwhelming circumstance seems to strike, and I can't find him anywhere. Uh, Several years ago, um, as some of you may know, my mother and father got ill at the the same time. I mean, the very same weekend, New Year's weekend, uh, 2009. So my brother and I went down there uh, not knowing what we would find or or what we were going to do. And I remember uh, that's a long drive and, and just not being able to find Jesus in that situation. Uh, So I understand when we're thinking about Mary Magdalene this morning, I am not here to throw rocks at her for the fact that she lost Jesus. Now, granted, she lost Jesus when he was right in front of her. That's a little bit like looking for the sunglasses on your head when you're looking into the mirror and it's right there. I mean, she says to uh, somebody she thinks is the gardener, which is where you put his body. And Jesus has to basically say, "Uh, you know, Mary, uh, I'm here. And. But it has made me wonder about how Mary could lose Jesus. What are some of the factors that went into not being able to recognize Jesus when he's right there in front of you? And and I don't know that I've got a great answer. I've thought several possibilities. One of the possibilities I thought about was that Jesus now out of the tomb has a resurrected body. And somehow that must be different than the regular body. We know that now he can walk through walls. But we also know, according to the Gospel of John, that other people, including his disciples, recognize him. They know what he looks like. So it's kind of hard to give Mary a pass on that account. And so I thought about this. I'm wondering if Mary is kind of like us. Uh, I don't know. What do you like before your first cup or glass of caffeine in the morning? 
You know, we're told it's very early in the morning when Mary goes to the tomb and maybe she's just not focusing or seeing straight yet. Maybe, maybe she, she's not a morning person and she doesn't have it uh, together. And so she sees him, but she doesn't see him. You know, early in the morning, it's sometimes hard to see things as they really are. That's been a helpful metaphor for me because I think oftentimes when difficult circumstances hit or loss hits or our, uh, our dreams die and devastation comes, it's really hard for us in the midst of the early stages of that loss to figure out where Jesus could be. In the middle of that whole thing. So when I'm driving down, I'm thinking about my mom and dad. I'm not thinking Jesus is anywhere in the picture. But as the story unfolded about five months later, we ended up, because of their issues, moving mom and dad up to be closer to me and my brother. And I got more time with them until their death than I had had for years and years and years. Maybe more time than I had had with them as an adult. And, And I began to see uh, the presence of Jesus, even in the midst of this difficulty and, and the hand of God. But early on, sometimes it's just it's just hard to tell. Uh, you, you lose uh, one career and it just seems like life has come to an end. Do you remember the story of the guys that founded Home Depot? They used to work for Handy Dan until they got fired. And then all of a sudden, when they were fired, they turned that in. To their own business. It's, it's hard early on to see uh, how things are going to turn out. And so my caution to you this morning is be real careful about judging things too early and saying God could never be in this. Jesus will never find his way into this situation because it may just be too early. And, uh, and I know because I do that sometimes. I just think Jesus isn't there because it's so early. I, I told the pastors this morning when I came in that, that I was playing hurt today. Uh, I got uh, uh, food poisoning about uh, 16 hours. Hours ago, and so it's been uh, a long evening and then uh, a long night. Um, and now I don't want you to worry about me because two things. Number one is I'm somewhat of a narcissist, so I love the attention I've gotten from it. Uh, and the other thing is I, I do have a slush bucket with me, and so I've instructed our uh, associate music director, uh, Nona Schwab, to be ready uh, with a slush bucket. So if I give her the signal, she can come flying from the top row of the choir and bring it to me. That wasn't the signal. Um, so I'm thinking, you know, in the middle of the night when I can't sleep and I'm making, you know, frequent trips and things are not going good, I'm thinking, Jesus, this is Easter. You know, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I should text Dinah in the middle of the night say, saying, could you stretch out your children's sermon for about 20 minutes? And I said, how could this happen? Where are you? Uh, I just early on, I, I couldn't see it. But, you know, I got some real clarity when I got here this morning. So I share with the pastors. I'm playing hurt. You know, I, I, I don't know how I'll do. And then I find out for Pastor Donna, it's even worse, because if you look at the insert in the bulletin today, Donna's dead. She's listed among people that had flowers given in her memory. <laughs> you know, I thought, I think I'd rather have food poisoning. So, you know, it's always too early. Eventually things make sense. So I'm thinking maybe that's going on with Mary or or maybe it's just because sometimes with earliness uh, before the light comes darkness. 
And, you know, darkness makes it so difficult to see things, not only in the future, but just to see things in the present, how they really are. I mean, have you ever been completely in the dark? It's kind of hard in the city to experience that. Um, Years ago, I was with uh, family, and so we we were in the San Francisco Bay Area, so we did the requisite tour of Alcatraz, and, and I was one of the ones that volunteered to go into solitary confinement. And when they closed that door, it was completely dark. And I knew people had, I knew I wasn't the only one. Other people had gone in the cell with me. But for the life of me, I just couldn't sense that they were anywhere in that cell. Our our sensibilities just, uh, our radar gets turned off in the darkness. And so I'm wondering, maybe that's it, Mary. Mary's just got a heavy darkness hanging over her, which to me is a metaphor for grief. I don't know what your experience with grief is like, but one of the things grief does to me is it sort of numbs me. I'm not as sensitive. I'm not as alert. I'm not as uh, aware as I normally am. I remember in significant deaths uh, in my life that one of my responses is just kind of sit there and stare. You know, it's really hard to make myself want to get up and and do anything. And and so Mary, maybe Mary's there. But then there are other people. I don't know if you've ever run into this, that in their grief, they will do something. But it's kind of bizarre. So many years ago, I did a very um, a funeral for in a very unfortunate situation. A, a very young husband, they hadn't been married long, uh, died, and and I learned from this because we had an open casket funeral, and so we are parading by the casket for the last time on our way to the cemetery, and his widow jumps in the casket with him, and she will not come out. Now I don't know if you've ever thought about that strategy, but it doesn't really have a very long shelf life. It's really hard to get into the future and move on if you're climbing into that casket. Sometimes grief does that. It just disorients us. So I'm thinking maybe that's what's going on with Mary. It's, it's just too early to make sense or her grief has overwhelmed her. But for some reason, Jesus is right in front of her and she cannot recognize him. Except as I looked at a couple of details of the story, some, uh, some new light came about this darkness. The first one is this. We're told in, at the very first of Je- John chapter 20 that Mary was on her way to the tomb to take spices. Uh, Jesus has been dead for almost three days. Uh, and so to take spices, I mean, that's not cloudy thinking. That's really good thinking. Uh, you don't want to be around a, a dead body very long. That hasn't been anointed with spices. So I'm kind of thinking Mary actually is in control of her faculties. She knows what she's doing. And then besides this, uh, when she goes to take the spices, what happens to her? She looks inside the tomb and she sees two angels. Now, I don't know about you, but that's two more than I saw this morning. So she's got some head start. She's got her faculties around her. How can she miss that he's right in front of her? Well, I don't have a good theological reason. But I want to offer you this, and if you don't think it's a very good reason, then I need to tell you it came from Dinah's brother, Daryl Smith, who's the worship director at New Heights. So go see him. But, but Daryl brought up the point the other day that, have you ever noticed that when you get used to seeing people in a certain place or a certain context and you meet them somewhere else, you don't always recognize them? Have you ever? I mean, it's a very interesting experience to me. I'll be at the grocery store, and I'll see one of y'all, and y'all will look at me like, I think I know that guy, even without the dress. I, I think I know him, but I'm not sure because it's in a completely different context. I'm not on a platform. I'm behind a grocery cart. And I think Mary's situation is she does not expect to see Jesus vertical. 
She thinks he's horizontal. If he's not in the tomb because he's not, then she thinks they've carried him. And that's what she says to Jesus. Where have you carried him? In other words, there ain't no way in the world he's walking anywhere. Last time I saw him, he was horizontal. I'm sure he's still there. She misses him because and she doesn't recognize him. She sees him the last place that he was. And the last place that he was was horizontal in the tomb as the stone was getting ready to close. If you look for Jesus, this is my sense, in the past, you will not find him very easily when your situation runs into difficulty. He is not the last place you saw him, even if it was a wonderful place. Maybe the last place you saw him was at the birth of a child or a grandchild. Or maybe the last place you saw Jesus was uh, at a wonderful spiritual retreat. Or, well, this is kind of a long shot for this church, but, you know, you had a great uh, preacher and, and so you saw Jesus there. Doesn't matter if it's good or it's tragic. He's not where you last saw him. And he tries to make this clear to Mary. He says, look, I'm going to my father and to your father. In other words, I'm going on ahead of you. I'm not only with you, but I'm out ahead of you making a way for you. Have you ever heard the phrase they use in sports and in business called the Gretzky principle? Don't know if you're familiar. Wayne Gretzky, perhaps one of the greatest hockey players of all time. Years ago, they asked Wayne Gretzky what made him so good. And his response was, I don't skate where the puck is. I skate where the puck is going to be. And so businesses talk about anticipating where things are going to be. And, and athletes talk about not uh, thinking a move and being a move ahead of the opposition. And that's exactly what Mary's learning about Jesus. Jesus isn't stuck somewhere in the past experience you've had with him, but he's moving on to where you need him most and you will find him there. He will be vertical, not horizontal. And he's already working to help you in that situation where you think he cannot be. But if you look at some glorified or terrible moment in the past and think he's there, you won't see him. There's a wonderful story written some years ago about uh, some people that went on a journey through the jungle and they're heading east through the jungle, uh, a dangerous journey. They weren't exactly clear where they were going, but they had a wonderful servant who helped them. I mean, this guy was amazing. He did all their menial chores, chopped their wood, made their fires, did the cooking, pitched their fence, took down their fence, went and got them water. I mean, it was the guy was there for their every need. And even better than that, he was a musician. And at night, then, his songs would lift their spirits even when they thought they were lost in the, in the deepest, darkest parts of the jungle. But then one morning, they woke up and he was no longer there. And as the story goes, uh, the group then, as they went forward, began to uh, fall apart. And they began to straggle. And without his help, they went in different directions. And so the first person that kind of moved forward toward the edge of the jungle was captured and was captured by natives with, with spears and other weapons. They put him in shackles, in chains, and they carried him into the village. And they said, you are going now to go before our tribal chief and he will render judgment upon you. That is not exactly how they thought the journey would end. But he went, carried in shackles. He goes to the village and looks up and on the chair, the chief's chair, he sees the same guy that had cooked his meals. That had pitched the tent, that had played the music, the same one who was serving them all along, 
left and went out ahead of them to prepare the way. So when they got captured and brought in, he would be able to free them and set them on the next phase of their journey. I think that's where we find Jesus. He's been with us, but some days things are so tough. We're not sure he's there anymore, but he is. And more importantly than that, he's not just with us. He's gone before us. He's made a way for us and he waits for us to meet him there.